think about what is it that you can be creating in this world that can make life better. Welcome to the inaugural episode of Diversity in Making, a podcast and video series. Diversity in Making is a collaboration between Purdue Asian American and Asian Resource and Culture Center, otherwise known as the ARC, and Purdue Libraries and School of Information Studies. I'm Pam Sari, Director of the ARC. And I'm Assistant Professor Sarah Hubert, and I run the Mobile Making Programming for the Libraries. In this program, we will engage the diversity of the maker communities through conversations with our guest speakers and making projects for our Purdue community. Our guest today is Dr. Afnit Hira, a Purdue alumni. We say here that once a Boilermaker, always a Boilermaker. So we are really excited for this opportunity to speak with our Boilermaker alumni. Dr. Hira received her Master of Science in Aerospace Engineering and a PhD in Engineering Education, both from Purdue University. Her PhD dissertation was titled Maker Spaces for Education. Currently, she is a research scientist at the Scheller Teacher Education Program at MIT. Thank you for joining us today, Dr. Hira. Yeah, I'm really excited to be here. So actually today we would like to start with your story of making. How did you find your path into making and from this path, how would you define making, makers, and also maker spaces? So let's see. I think maybe it, it makes sense to go backward from where I am currently. So I'm, I'm currently, um, I'm currently, as you mentioned, I'm a research scientist at the Scheller Teacher Education Program and uh, the Education Arcade at MIT. Um, and I work on a project that brings project-based learning to a network of high schools across the United States. To me, project-based learning is one of those teaching and learning enactments of making. Of course, project-based learning is more than just making, as you know, PBL people would like to say, but that's one of the reasons I've been interested in, in PBL. Before that, as, as you mentioned, I was at Purdue getting my PhD for about a year and a half, I was at a software company called MathWorks. And before Purdue, I got my bachelor's in aerospace engineering from uh, Punjab Engineering College in India. And I think all of those pieces together kind of define my maker journey up until what I'm doing currently. Because when I started off as an aerospace engineer from an undergraduate institution, maybe the big reason that I picked to be an aerospace engineer is because I thought space was cool and I liked building things. Um, and I guess I suppose I was lucky enough to have good enough grades in math and science to get into that college. Interestingly, just kind of talking about my maker journey and having female idols to look up, perhaps one one of the two Indian origin astronauts actually went to, to my undergraduate college, Kalpana Chavla, and we lost her in the Columbia disaster. And that was around the time I was in middle school. And I thought that was, I thought it was just cool, whatever she did. I wanted to go into that college, do aerospace engineering. And when I landed up there, I realized that everything that I was learning in the classes was just so theoretical. And it was not what I thought engineering was going to be like, which I know is a sentiment that's echoed by a lot of new engineering students. And that's when I started thinking about what could I be doing that would still make me feel like an engineer, keep me excited about doing engineering. And I started building remote controlled airplane models. So we set up a lab along with some of my friends. Now that I think of it, I think other than, other than one person 
in that lab, uh, Jasmine, everyone else identified as male. And I remember in our, back in the day, in India, at least, dorms have something called an in time. That means there's a certain time in the night by which you're supposed to come back because otherwise it's unsafe for you to be out at night. And I remember working with like, the administrators of the dormitories to make sure that I could have an extended in time because I wasn't out partying after 8 p.m., but I was building remote-controlled airplanes in this lab. That's kind of like one of my like fun maker memories from an undergraduate institution. And I, I always say I probably spent more time making those RC airplanes than they're on blimps, and then we worked on some morphing airplane wing type things than really in the classroom and that helped me identify as a maker and as an engineer because once you're making things and they're out there, no one can question whether you're actually good at a certain thing or not because it's right there. There's a physical artifact right in front of you. You know, there's no question on whether, oh, maybe just, you know, the question paper for this exam was hard. That's why I didn't quite get it. Like if you get it, you can build it. If you don't get it, it won't work. And that will give you instant feedback that you need to get it better because this isn't flying. I didn't know that the maker movement was a thing back then. I'm talking about 2009 to 2012 at this point. And then I came to Purdue because I wanted to uh, study unsteady aerodynamics deeper. When I was working at Purdue, I met my PhD advisor, Morgan Hines, who was setting up a lab at Purdue. He just started as an assistant professor at that point. And he wanted to set up something that he called a makerspace. I was like, that sounds kind of cool. It sounds like what I want to do, but what is a makerspace? I looked it up and I was like, oh, these are, it's like all the fabrication labs that I spent so much time in an undergrad, but now we just kind of get to do this. And then I spent time with, with his lab for about a semester. I, I just worked with him and then I applied to the PhD program in engineering education. And I think it was those four to five years at Purdue that really helped me engage with what making means to me, ask questions around it, and at the same time introduce making to other people. I think we did a lot of great work there just at Purdue because I think Boilermakers would be listening to this. I remember we worked with uh, PALS, which is the Purdue Athletic Life Success Program, which is kind of neat because there were kids who had come in to play sports and in, in, you know, in, in the middle of the afternoon, they would kind of engage with us while they made things using 3D printers and other things. We worked with the minorities in engineering program quite a bit amongst, amongst other things. So that was kind of my, and then I, you know, my dissertational work was in makerspaces as well, which led me to MathWorks, which was interesting because, I mean, I think as, as perhaps, you know, as a scholar, something that's important is for you to, to critique your own work and see what's missing. And one of the things that I thought that was missing in the way I was thinking of making, and perhaps some other people as well, was that it could often get confused with something that's only crafty. And I think for it to be engineering, it, it, for it to be engineering as well, there needs to be some knowledge of physical systems, mathematical modeling, thinking about how that could be used for science um, or, or engineering. And that's where I decided to kind of take up the job at MathWorks because MathWorks is making industry-ready tools that students used in open-ended project-based settings, including makerspaces. So yeah, that, that's kind of my journey. And I guess I'll kind of quickly synthesize it. Like to me, someone who's a maker needs to identify as a maker. So I think that's one of the things which is, which is important. I think, I think self-identifying, there's, there, there, there's, there's a lot of thought pieces, articles out there, which, you know, kind of talk about the problem with making. And I agree with a lot of them of this kind of somewhat 
cult-ish uh, culture that maker spaces often have or makers often have. And so I think that one, everyone should get their own, should get a chance to define their own maker identity. So my maker identity is often surrounded around why I'm building something or the people I'm building it for, but that doesn't have to be other people's maker identities. I know people who call themselves makers because they just love playing with certain types of material and seeing what that material can, the kind of emotions play with that material can invoke in other people. So that's important. I think it's important for people to get to define their own maker identity and people are makers if they identify to say that they're makers themselves. If, if people don't necessarily, if, you know, people are more, are, are happier, more comfortable saying that they're people who do craft, they're artists, that's, that they're all related. But I think it's, it's, it's extremely important as opposed to trying to put people in a box. I think that's one of the things that, again, research oftentimes, I think, is that tension with making because makers want to be out of the box and do all kinds of cool things. And as researchers, we're often trying to put things in theoretical frameworks. And so that's kind of like a tension that I often walk as well. I'll stop. <laughs> to me, it's like there's a spark of possibility and it gets people in this space of anything's possible and I can try these things out. Pam and I are working on this podcast because we don't want it to feel exclusive. We want anyone to experience that feeling of I want to try something out and I want to prove it works. Like this is my space where I can just experiment. And, and that leads me to this next question. I, I was uh, reading over your dissertation uh, that you did while at Purdue and you talk about how the maker environment carries over similar practices of design from engineering, but there is this opportunity for re reflective practice. This is a quote from you, reflective practice and identity formation in the context of educational maker spaces. Can you tell us more about that? Yeah, thanks, uh, Sarah. Uh, so I think it kind of comes down to what we were talking about earlier that making is making is more of a personal or, or communal act as opposed to, in, in my understanding, um, as, as opposed to engineering uh, or technology where you know one has to be meeting certain standards or solving certain things in certain ways and so I think because it is so to me the novelty in making is that it is so personal and people can engage with it in in personal ways so if, if you look at different examples right like I was watching reruns of the making it show the one with uh, uh, Amy Poehler and Vic Offerman uh, yeah uh, and uh, mm -hmm. they have the same prompts but people make different things and the reason people make different things is because making is personal to them. And, you know, like if you give each one of us, the three of us, uh, the same prompt, I'm sure we'll make very different things. And when you, to me, it's so, it, it's difficult, but it's so important to not lose that when we bring that into a formal education setting. Because that, that to me is what makes it, I'll say it again, because it's so important to me, it makes it so different from engineering or technology. And so now that we, have brought it into a formal setting, something that's extremely important in formal settings is, is assessment. And by that, I don't necessarily mean kind of traditional forms of assessment. Like I think there are new fun ways that you know assessment is, is done these days, or at least is research for. So I think that if one can assess things, if, if there's a way to assess, note, or in a way put in a portfolio, things that are actually personally interesting to the individual. So the assessment also needs to be personally meaningful. I guess that, that's kind of 
if I have to put it in a, in a statement, that, that's what I would say. And so I, I'll take an example of a course that I would, I taught at Purdue for a semester. It was Introduction to Engineering Practice. And uh, one of the things that we were just, it was a learning community course. And one of the things we were discussing, I remember at one of those like lunch tables was uh, what every, when, when there's uh, the industrial roundtable, all of you in four or five years will have the same degree from Purdue. But what is it that's going to make you different when you walk up to a future employer, for someone who you really want to work with? Um, or other similar settings one, upon you graduate, what what are you going to say beyond you have a degree from Purdue, which is great, right? Like as someone who has two degrees from Purdue, people really enjoy knowing that about you. They look at you in a different light, which is great. But but what beyond that? And I think that's where this identity and reflection piece can, can help and comes in because it recording history, recording your thought process more personal, which which is important. Yeah, I think, you know, and we- you know, speaking to what you said about the round table, when that question gets asked of you, we want for our students to answer that from a genuine place of self-discovery, right? It can become a pressure, but we want it to be, I explored these different things. And so what I'm expressing is unique to me. And that's what I love about makerspaces. We see all these kids coming from you know, K through 12 or or different schools where possibly there's a real process, a real linear process to learning um, and and teaching to the test. You come here and it's like, okay, be innovative, be creative. Uh, Okay. (laughs) You know, the pressure is kind of intense. And I love makerspaces for that. Come here, play, tinker with your community by yourself and start learning about that how to answer that question, what makes me unique? No, I I absolutely agree with that. I think it's really, it can become really daunting, especially, you know, when you're at school or in a community of people who who are really smart, make really cool things. And you're like, how do I become innovative? These these words kind of get thrown around, right? How to become innovative? How do I become entrepreneurial? Like to me, the, the, the truth comes in creating right? And creating in this way, I'm using perhaps synonymous with making. Like you would only be, you can be truly innovative, but not by meditating on the word innovation, but by creating. (laughs) I totally agree. I totally agree. So in your uh, statement earlier, you brought in IR and also I read in your dissertation that you spoke with people who are both engineers and makers. So there is an overlap between the two. How is making valid? And what does making versus theory bring to engineering? Uh, yeah, thanks. Thanks for that question. So I think, so I think there's a lot of overlap, but there are also things that are very uh, unique to engineering and making, right? So I think the overlap is in so it's in in engineering or even in you know the in in design or the engineering design process in particular. We talk about this time of um, emergent thinking or divergent thinking, and then we'll converge later. And that's the time when you're you know, making sure that you're considering all the possibilities, playing with the different pieces of information that you have, being curious, trying to, trying to come up with new things. And that is similar to making. Of course, I think in, in engineering or any kind of a professional practice, you then need to go on and need to make sure that you ascribe to professional standards, code of ethic. There are people that you're working with. Every organization kind of has their own goals and aims and you know ways of being. And 
other things like safety, resilience. There's so many things that one needs to consider in, in engineering. Things that perhaps are not as necessary or needed unless the maker deems so to be considered in making. So I think that that in that initial or sometimes I guess if you're going in cycles, it'll come back to like when you're when you're thinking in more open-ended ways, I think making comes in. So and when I think when there when there are fewer risks involved, that's when that's when one can think about about making and those overlaps. And one of the things that I will often quote from one of the participants of the research that I did at Purdue, and this person is a professional designer, also identified as a maker, and she shared with me that you know, to me, the designer is the person who has to get up every morning and go to work. This is before pandemic, so she was still going to work. I hope she's working on her laptop now. Um, and But she still has to at least put on a nice shirt, even if she's in shorts or something, and sit in front of her computer and do her work. But um, the maker, she said, I mean, I hope I'm quoting her the right way. The maker, she said, is like the little kid who will go to her mother and say, could I have a, you know, a few extra bucks to like go buy something to like make something for myself? And so I think the risk, right? I think the risk and the responsibility, I'm not, not trying to imply that making can be irresponsible, but I think that you owe responsibilities to different people. And in making you mostly owe it to yourself, unless you've decided to make with other people and for other people. And also it's fun. I mean, the idea that it's fun mm -hmm. and versus a work, uh, it's more responsibility, more you have to concentrate and thus, you know, it, work can be fun. But if you if you compare work and play, I would definitely go to the idea of a play. So how would you, how would you, can you uh, comment mm -hmm. on the idea of work versus play? You know, that's such a difficult question to answer for me because I actually, uh, but I'm glad you asked it because <laughs> I like as someone who, so, so very honestly, the, the day I defended my dissertation at Purdue, I told everyone close to me that I did not want to hear the word makerspaces for six months because I was just so done writing that word and talking about it and defending it. And not because I had anything. And I wanted to like perhaps keep creating things on the side. Like I was probably doodling or like I'll, I'll make things that, that I don't even realize that I'm actually like making per se, but I guess it's just who I am. But I did not want to because I was moving to Massachusetts and I remember my friends were like, oh, you know, the Boston area is so great for makerspaces. That's where Artisan Asylum is. I was like, I don't think I'm going to walk into a makerspace for minimum six months because I just, I just couldn't. And for me, I think that's, that had reached a place where the boundary between work and play had been completely blurred and, you know, let alone, I mean, if you try to, if you write a PhD dissertation on anything, you probably want to break from it at least for a few months and then you can get back into it. But I mean, I'm not saying that I was as done with it. I think after six months, I was happy engaging with the word makerspace and whatnot. I was also started making myself. We actually got a 3D printer for our home. That's how much we missed making and, you know, not having access to the uh, lab that I did in Purdue the way I had back in the day. Um, so I think, so I think those, those boundaries are for, for people to, people to make themselves. And I don't think one thing that works for someone will work for another person. So I'll talk about a friend of mine who went to design school and, you know, he perhaps had a, a great job. He's like an engineer by training then went to design school and uh, he, he had a great job and he just kind of quit everything. Cause he was like, I don't want to think of the thing that makes me money as a job. I want to keep making. And if that helps me make money, that's great. Otherwise I'll find something else which doesn't suck up 
eight to nine hours a day. Because so, so he, so the person I'm talking about in this case is doesn't want to make that distinction. He wants to, he wants to keep making and he wants to let that, uh, you know, feed him, you know, they wants that to pay the bills. Um, I feel if I, and that, you know, that's just how you are as people. Like, I feel like if I, if all day I'm just make, just making, and, you know, kind of, I'm, I'm doing air quotes here for people who are listening. Uh, I would at some point be like, what did I, what did I do to like, or pay the bills or feed my cat? That, that really is my only responsibility as of now in life. Like I want to make sure that there's food on the table for my cat. But so I think that's a very, it's a very personal thing and one needs to figure out what is, what works for them. But at the same time, like warning for people, and this happens all the time and you hear it with people who've started their own enterprises as well, right? There's something that you're so passionate about and then you like kind of get into the nitty gritty, especially from a research perspective, you start theorizing things and you kind of sometimes forget where it was coming from. I actually have bi-weekly reminders on my phone that remind me, why were you doing this in the first place that take me back to the, like the larger purpose to like find, I use the adjectives of space and warmth, like find the space and warmth, find the place of space and warmth in here. Um, and that's kind of how I, like to think about why I do what I do professionally, but when I'm in it, I might not feel like I'm playing all the time, but that's, but that's good for me because I need, I need to feel like I'm working. <laughs> so, say that again, find the space of what? Find, find a place of space and warmth. So I think, okay, let me pull up my phone, but the reminder says something like, remember the, remember the bigger purpose. Like, remember why you got into this in the first place, yeah. especially these days, like it's, it's so hard easy to get bogged down. And so I was just talking yesterday with a friend. I was like, I know people often complain about their jobs, but I actually really like my job. And is it okay that if I, that I really like my job because I'm, I'm able to like go back to think about, I introduce a lot of kids to making, which I find extremely exciting. I work with teachers who introduce their students to making open-ended thinking. Like all of those things are really exciting to me. Those are the work things when I'm playing on my own on the side that's, that's different but related. You make a good point. Some people like the distinction, keep it separate. That feeds them in a certain way. But you are someone that's worked it into your job. So I was just wondering if you know, students are enjoying making, you know, they could be engineering students, they could be dance students, you know, any, anywhere on campus. You have recommendations for steps they can take towards moving that into their professional life, moving making into their professional life? Maybe not the whole thing, but parts or any advice? So I think one of the things that, that I found helpful, I wish I could do more of is uh, while you're in, in college at Purdue, whenever you have an opportunity, make, like make more. Uh, it, it's one of those things that you can't, you can't think you can't just keep thinking and then not make because then you're thinking, which is great in its own way. Like lots of people have great jobs because they think really well and that's great. But if we're talking about, you know, people who are, who are creating artifacts, physical or virtual or anyway, I think it's, it's important to kind of throw yourself in there. Like, you know, just, just walk into a place where you have the tools to make and make. Um, whether those, you know, if, if, if you're a painter, you're, you're probably your tools would look different from someone who's say doing woodworking, but make sure you put yourself in there often enough. So that, that's one of the things that I would say. The other thing that I would say is that become familiar with others around you, um, whether you know they're 
physically in the same location or otherwise virtually who are also making. Because I find community, well, I w- it would be an understatement if I, sp- if I say I find community really helpful and encourages, like to me, it always boils down to community. Having like these people whom I'm talking about, they're the two people who I've already spoken about, they're from live in different continents right now, but I know of their maker journey. Someone else I know, she works with, um, uh, she, she works with people who have had a history of um, addiction and now she helps them make things with their hands um, to kind of make them feel more uh, uh, resilient and build up their self-esteem, right? And, and I think these are things that I wouldn't have thought of myself, but they're just such great things to know and they make you feel so good inside, like going back to that space and warmth. See how your making can improve someone else's life. I think that I think that that's important. I think that's important generally these days to feel good, feel like especially because we're physically away from a lot of the people that we love and care for. Other things that you can, other things that you can make to make other people's lives better. Think about what is it that you can be creating in this world that can make life better or at least can bring in some form of entertainment, you know, some amount of flow. Like when we're engaging with something with all our consciousness, we always, we, we end up not thinking about things that are worrying us. So maybe think about things that can engage you in that feeling of, of flow. Bring some joy, bring some. Thank you. Yes, yes. Bring right. some heart and joy and engagement. We need it yeah. now. Um, so the other thing I would recommend in addition to throwing yourself in there making is become familiar with other people's works, work, um, kind of the corporate term of this would be like, make those connections, make that network. But I like to think about it as community, right? Make sure you have uh, that community that can inspire you and, you know, people that you can fall back on. Like I have, I also write poetry and I have some friends whom I reached out to recently and I was talking about how I just haven't been able to write in the lockdown because it's just so hard to put words to paper. But I have this community to talk with about, about that. And the last thing I'd say is that know where your making can overlap with your professional aspiration and where it doesn't and it's okay it's okay if all of it doesn't overlap um but there are places that it would most certainly overlap and and know where those places are and kind of enjoy them for what for, for what they for what they are i think that that that's another like for example for me like when I'm doing, when I'm making research designs, uh, when I'm thinking about new interventions in the classroom or other informal settings, those are the important, like exciting parts where there's overlap because I'm creating something new and I'm, you know, Im- imagining what's new. I don't think there's anything necessarily as creative about, you know, sitting down and making video recordings or doing data collection, right? Which which has its own, like as a researcher, I enjoy that, but that's not an overlap with making, but it, it they feed each other, right? So, so that. <laughs> Can you tell us what you see makers doing in the time of pandemic where we have to be physically distanced, right, from each other and cannot be in the same physical maker spaces? Yeah, that's, you know, that's a great question. I think, so one way of looking at it, I was playing with this idea a little bit, is that more people, I think, are making than ever before because we're all making our masks. We're all making, we're all Finding, or most of us are making, shouldn't make that statement. Most, a lot of people are making their own masks or at least thinking about where they could be sourcing their masks from. People are coming up with ingenious ways of just opening doors and how to meet people and how to like, even if you're meeting friends in the park, how do you make sure that food gets to everyone without, you know, it, it, um, you're getting germs on it and things like that. So, so I think 
in in such times like in these like really hard times when possible people's creativity we might not think of it as, as creativity because the way to think of it would be there's no other option but i think one with the other way of thinking about the same act might be that this is our um inherent creativity resilience resourcefulness as individuals is, is coming down so there's this idea um in 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 hindi there's a word called word called jugar and i know that it has similar um there are similar words in at least uh portuguese i say mandarin i mean i i'll i'll stop naming but i think and i am aware of the fact that other than english there are other languages that have similar words like jugar which basically means resourcefulness and making do with whatever you have and coming up with a solution really quickly in a scrappy way but like coming up with something that that's needed in that moment and i think this is kind of these times are kind of you know like really i'm i'm being careful to like say the word like opportune with these times are anything but opportune but but that but that's what these times have called for right so people are making things on their own i think mask making like we would often talk about democratization of making as one of the you know things that in in the making community people will talk about and i think the way mask making has democratized making nothing else has at least like you know in my memory um and um one something else that i might say is and this is something that i've thought about myself as well is if you are a maker if you enjoy making things how can you make your making relevant in these times is there something that you could be making is there something that you could be designing that could be helpful for other people i know of friends who families have stitched masks for them and kind of you know sent them around and i know there's some pretty interesting uh robotic type things that people have done around delivering medicines and food uh for for people and the other thing which honestly has been most helpful for my own mental health in this lockdown is is the creative people who are making amazing internet content i don't know i don't know about others but maybe some people listening to this podcast resonate with it like this is amazing internet content all the way from comics to videos to you know just really interesting and fun written art articles that are making quarantine life lockdown life a little more bearable and it has made me it has made me respect the arts and creators in a completely different way uh, and just the absolute necessity for the world to you know like uh be nicer and you know pay for that next thing which you could otherwise get for free especially when a creator has made it I think it's important to be safe while making uh, you know like oftentimes maker spaces will have manuals around safety and you know you have safety glasses and gloves and things like that and if you're trying to make things at home make sure you're only making things that are safe to be made at home make sure you're only making things that your parents or landlords are okay with you making at home you know don't um, make sure you don't get the fuse out at in your building and things like that and uh, uh, I think I already kind of alluded to this is the last thing that i'd say is that it is so important more than ever before to support other makers work so if you're if you're buying something look at is there someone locally who's making something or even get on something like you know etsy or some of these other places like people are making things with with their one of the teachers that i work with in my project at at mit he makes things in his garage and he has been making more these days and he's he's been sending them out and people have he's he's in tennessee kind of lives in the foothills the appalachian is very proud of that but 
but like he makes some really interesting things of the things that he finds and um just i think the joy that that means for for him but also for someone who receives it it's it's one of a kind you're supporting an individual person you're supporting their craft they feel better and so maybe if you do have resources to spend maybe try spending them on uh, things made by individuals as opposed to things that have been mass produced we're curious what you think about what the future of making is personally i can it's fine with me if it takes another name if it keeps morphing into a new space um so so i'm curious what you think in your articles and writing and work you focus on assessment and making and integrating making into curriculum some might say it's a passing fad. What do you think? The name could change. Actually, I'd be pretty certain the name will change. I, uh, I don't, but, I, but I'm not too concerned about it. As long as we don't write off all the interesting work that has been done while we called it making, and then we decide to call it something else in a couple of years and then forget that someone had already done work in this space. So I think what we call, like making in, it, in itself has roots in, in Purely from an engineering perspective, it has roots in fabrication labs, you know, otherwise it has, in, in arts, it has roots in the studio spaces. Um, and they were called different things 10, 15 years, you know, before the current time, and they would probably call something else in the future. But I think that the ideas and the, the values that are underlying uh, are, are evergreen. And by those ideas, I mean, I mean, the experience of creating something new learning things by making mistakes, um, seeing personal meaning in physical or virtual artifacts that you're creating. This is a thing that I made. Like the feeling of saying that I made a thing is, 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 is just really special. And there's plenty of research frameworks that support why that feels so good as well. But, but, but the point is that whether we call it making or creating or fabricating it that that at some point becomes immaterial i think the the underlying values are important and those those are here to stay because i think that they have parallels and overlaps with what what is inherent to the human spirit i think human beings will always make new things like we made fire at one point didn't we so we will keep making things like it's and I'm sure we're going to make other really cool, I don't know, moon colonies in the future, but we're going to keep creating things. Like it's just, it's just so close to how we identify ourselves as, as human beings. And so you call us something else. It doesn't, it doesn't matter to matter to me too much. I think the, I think the assessment in a, and more and more, I think we're kind of going towards more individualized assessment models. And, you know, the, the, the more we go away from, or at least add in more standardized assessment models, things that are more individual, that speak for individual students, um, or speak for individual learners, um, that in itself is, that in, that in itself is enough because makers are going to make whether you decide to give them like makers were making, and that's why education researchers were like, oh, this is kind of cool, and this is educationally interesting. Let's see what they're doing. Like, there were, no, one, no one made a research study to help them start making. They've always been making, and I think they'll keep making. Well, thank you, listeners, for tuning in to our inaugural episode of Diversity in Making, a podcast and video series with Dr. Avneet Hira. Thank you for joining us, Avneet. This has been very interesting. Uh, it's been great to hear about your journey as a woman in making, uh, talking about the reflective practice of making, what makes you, making unique, how we can use it to help others. 
We have a project designed by Avneet we want you to check out and try. Avneet, can you say a little something about it? Um, yeah, sure. So, um, so when I was thinking about what, what could be something that uh, Boilermakers could, could make in these times, as we say, um, I was thinking about how we're often around other people, but switching contexts just because of what we're seeing on our computer screen. So you could be going from class to playing a video game to you know chatting with a friend or family all while looking at the same computer screen and you could also be going through different moods and emotions throughout the day throughout the week and um, I thought it would be kind of cool if if people could make some sort of a physical avatar along with a mood or emotion that uh, represents how they're feeling currently I was inspired by an exercise in, in mindfulness, actually, uh, to come up with this, which is we'll often say if you're checking in with someone, whether it's a colleague at work or otherwise, maybe ask them how the weather has been, how the weather has been in their mind lately. So it's kind of it's kind of sunny in the morning, then I kind of it got overcast later in the afternoon, and now there now there are thunderstorms or something something like that. So 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 I was trying to put those kind of ideas together, but at the same time find a way to communicate with others how you're doing in, in shared spaces. So that, that, that's what the project uh, is based on. Thank you. Below the podcast on our webpage is a, is a how-to video and directions to, to prompt you to do this project. We also have 25 kits with materials available to make the project. You can pick up a kit at the ARC. It is open Monday through Friday, 8 to 4. Give it a shot. It's an opportunity to play and tinker with an idea in the comfort of your own home. Then we want to see what you made. Submit an image of what you made on our podcast website. At the top of the page, there's a link to submit. We'll be dropping another pod in October, so please keep your eye out on our website and social media. We'll be talking with Christina Mock from Makers Making Change about makers making assistive devices. Until next time, Thank you, Avni. We, we greatly appreciate this conversation with you. Keep on making and boiler up.